0: This morning we're in an Advent series where we're looking at the Incarnation. And we're looking at the impact that the Incarnation should, can, shall make upon our lives. That the Incarnation is to say that Jesus is fully God and He is Fully man in one person. He's not 50-50, he's 100-100. He's 100% God, but he's 100% man in one person. And he was fully God, fully man, and is forever. And this morning, we're going to look at the fact of the incarnation that Christ is fully man. And then we're going to explore the impact that that makes upon our life. How it should move us to confidence that God, Jesus Christ, fully man, knows and understands, is sympathetic and at work with our trials, our afflictions, our suffering, our fears. And our sin. And it takes a man. Fully man. Still a man. A human being. To be able to so identify with us. Men and women. With our fleshly weaknesses. Our struggles for faith. And our constant. Our constant. Struggling with anxiety and fear. Is if we don't have Jesus. Fully God. Fully man. With us. Every waking moment. Now. Now and forever. Look at your scriptures this morning. Again, we're camping out in Matthew 1 and uh, I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture. We, If you look at your sermon outline and you say, oh my goodness, look at all of those scriptures. We do this as in part to assist you in your private worship. We also do this in part to help community group uh, facilitators so that in your community group this becomes, this is your Bible study. And we also do this to show a foundation. The Bible is not written, um, you know, it, it's not a, a great mystery. There's so much evidence for Jesus Christ as a man. I will dare to say that there's more evidence that Jesus Christ is a man, a human being, than there is evidence that you're a human being. And so I there is far more scripture, but I have chosen to limit myself this morning to an Old Testament prophetic account of saying out of Isaiah 53, this is what you should expect. When God incarnates, when God takes flesh, expect Him to be fully God, that was last week, but expect Him to be fully man. He's not going to walk on air. He's not going to glow. But then we're going to see it affirmed in the Gospel of Luke. And I've limited myself to the Gospel of Luke being an echo and evidence of Jesus Christ being flesh. But I could choose any Gospel. And then we're going to look, and I'm not, it's not a, a, a point. I'm going to do it inter, mixed together to show you as we cover each one, I'm going to show you from Hebrews, and I've limited myself there, what we should consider to be the impact. How, if Jesus is fully... Man, with a human body, a human mind, and human emotions, how should that impact me? Let's camp out just a minute. Our, our, Our base text is in Matthew 1. The focus verse is going to be verse 21. Beginning back in verse 19, Romans 1, I mean Matthew 1, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. In other words, he had not slept with her. She was a virgin. They are engaged more than an engagement nowadays. They're betrothed. So they are committed and their families have already made arrangements for them to be wed. And so at this point, it's almost like a divorce that with her being found with a child, he's going to put her away quietly, discreetly. He's not going to have her stoned. He's not going to shame her. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God himself intervenes. An angel of the Lord comes to him. No mere imagination or dream, uh, uh, originate, finding this orig, point of origination in the human mind. But God intervenes and he comes to him and he explains to him that this is his will that is afoot here And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that's the name of God. So he's fully God taking this flesh. Which means God with us. So God is with us. And we talked last week about the impact of that. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He's got peace. He's got the fuel that he needs now to obey. Based on God's revealed word to him. So he took his wife but knew her not. That means that he did not sleep with her until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Jesus didn't just simply appear outside of being conceived in the womb and suddenly a little boy is standing beside Mary. There was blood and afterbirth and there uh, their bodily fluids. I don't know if uh, they spanked him like we see uh, now. You know, I don't think they do that anymore, do they? Do they, do they still spank babies? I don't think they do. Uh, but during that time, Jesus would have been born like every baby. He wasn't just suddenly translated from outside of the womb. He would have cried when he was hungry. He would have wet. He would have pooped. He, Are you beginning to get a little uncomfortable to think about Jesus? Well, that's where we're going this morning. I want to answer that growing, sometimes that growing assumption that yes, Jesus was fully man, but not really. Jesus was fully man, but not really. He was just for 33 years slumming. He was just like Evan. He was just wearing a costume for 33 years. Or, so that means that uh, when he prayed, he didn't really pray out of need. He just kind of prayed to be a good example to us. Or maybe Jesus was fully man in that he drank wine, ate fish, ate bread, helped build the campfire. Slept in the boat, but in his mind and in his heart, he didn't have emotions like we did. He didn't think things, you know, through like we think things. He didn't learn how to say mama. He, he knew from the get-go how to speak Aramaic completely. He, his, he was well-versed in Hebrew. That's wrong. And then there's, there's another heresy that I find more uh, contemporary than denying that Jesus was just pretending to be in the flesh. And that's the heresy that he's not in the flesh now. Let's look at some scriptures this morning, I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus is fully man. In John 1.14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John has been talking about God is going to come to us. And we're going to see what God looks like in His activity among men. And He says, He's going to dwell among us in the flesh, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father. 2 John verse 7 now there are oodles of, of verses that I could give you this morning but I just want to give you a handful in support of the truth that Jesus is fully man 2 John verse 7 this is put forward this idea this this truth that Jesus has come in the flesh he's fully man is the first test of orthodoxy it's the first test as whether or not you really are a believer And your faith really is rightly placed in God and what He's taught us about Himself and about ourselves. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So you have been deceived... The author of Second John says, If you do not believe that Christ came fully in the flesh. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. Paul writing to Timothy uses uh, the language of the flesh when he says, For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. There's one person that stands in between God and men. One person that stands in between God's wrath and sinful man. A mediator, an advocate, an intercessor, someone who is a peacemaker. The man, the man, Christ Jesus. He doesn't say here, the God, Christ Jesus, But he uses the two terms of, first of all, the man. There's a human fleshly person standing, physically standing in between God and man. And it's Christ, Christos, the Messiah. The one promised in Isaiah 53 to come as God, God on earth, as fully man. I want you to see three things. I want you to see that Jesus had a human body, Jesus had a human mind, that is a soul, Jesus had a human heart. There's a problem that arises if you don't believe this. Jarrett Scott Dawson, and I quote, says it this way. If Jesus dropped the hypostatic union with humanity... Then he dropped us, and we are forsaken on this side of the great divide, unable to fulfill our purpose, find forgiveness, and restored communion, or enact our mission. The hypostatic union is this. Hypostatic basically means personal. One person. The hypostatic union then is the unity or the joining, the union of a number of ingredients into one person. So if we keep Jesus up in the rafters, floating in the clouds, if we keep Jesus just on the stained glass, if we keep Jesus only in the heavens, then we have broken that hypostatic union that the scriptures testify to. There was Matthew when Matthew wrote this gospel. Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. Now he included things there for the Gentiles, the new believing Gentiles, but his primary focus was to the Jews who were awaiting the Messiah. And they found it Very, very difficult to believe that a holy, divine, pure, clean God could take on dirty, sinful, broken flesh in a fallen world. The first heresy following, they first began to assault and said, Jesus wasn't fully divine, but then the heresy after that was, the docetist. And docetism basically means shadow or cloudy image. And that the docetist heresy was this. Yes, Jesus looks like he is in the flesh, but he's not really. It's just, it's just an appearance of flesh, but if you pinched him, he wouldn't go, ouch. If you cut him, he wouldn't bleed. He It looks like he's drinking water, but he's not thirsty. That was a heresy. We, culturally today, we don't really believe that. We believe, and you'll be easily convinced, that Jesus Christ was fully in the flesh when he was here. We're more apt to commit the cultural heresy of today's docetist which is Jesus is not fully human now Jesus is not fully human now because we're not really aware perhaps of the implications if the hypostatic union is violated please please don't think that Jesus Christ was like when he was on earth was like Einstein taking kindergarten math. It was just play acting. It was just a performance. No. And don't think that once Jesus ascended into the heavens that He's now just a spirit without a body. When Stephen was martyred, he stood and he saw the heavens open and he saw a physical human being Stand up for Him. Colossians, Paul tells us that we are to set our minds on Christ enthroned in the heavens at the right hand of God sitting on a throne and completing our life for us. The incarnation, it is as important to your salvation for you to grasp that Jesus Christ is fully man when he was on earth and now that he is in heaven as it is to believe that he is god and divine that's the impact Jesus had a human body Isaiah 53 verse 2 he grew up before him like a weed well that's what it means he grew he grew like a weed he grew physically I don't know that that means that he was a gangly boy, but he grew like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He wasn't ugly, but he was common. Nothing to set him apart. And no beauty that we should desire him. In Luke 2.40, we see that it's echoed where we read that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now there's physical evidence. Physical evidence that bears this out in the gospel. Just a selection out of the gospel. He was physically born, Luke 2.7. He physically grew, just as we read. He, he physically went from a newborn to a toddler. He physically began to, to grow on, you know, he learned to walk. It wasn't innate with him. He grew tired as he walked. This is the woman at the well. Jesus Christ was weary. Jesus Christ got physically weary. Jesus Christ thirsted. We see this in John 19. That Jesus Christ had a crying, screaming thirst. Matthew 4, verse 2. We read that Jesus Christ became hungry. This was the temptation. When Jesus Christ was in the wilderness and Satan was throwing at him everything he had, he was fasting for 40 days. And we read that he was so weakened, he was so hungry, he was so thirsty at the end of those 40 days that God had to send angels to take care of him as he was perishing. That The implications are big for those of us who struggle. For those of us who really need a physical Jesus who has known hunger. Who knows birth pains and growing pains and thirst. That it's not beyond Him. Physically weak. He died. He felt pain. He felt the nail. He shed blood. He was resurrected. A body, not a ghost, came out of a tomb. I could have put down there ascended, that when he ascended, he didn't lay the body aside, but that body goes up into the heavens and the angels say, men, why are you standing here looking? He's going to come back the same way. When he comes back, he's going to make a physical appearance from the sky down to earth again. And in the interim, he has a body now. What are the implications? The impact is that if Jesus has a human body, Hebrews 2.17, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Big word there. I keep looking for every new translation to replace it with something, but they can't. Because in one word, this explains that God is not angry anymore because there's nothing left to be angry to us, who are followers of Christ, about. It's the removal, the extinguishing of God's wrath completely. That God will never be mad at me because of my past, my present, or even my future because of what Christ has done. He completely satiated, satisfied, fulfilled, justly so, By His mercy, the complete wrath of God. For me, that part of the curse is no more. For you, as a follower of Christ or a son and daughter of God, Jesus Christ has removed the wrath of God. But not if He was not fully man. Not if He didn't face the penalty that you would face completely. You are going to feel God's wrath physically and very sadly, Some who are still waiting, still hesitating, still waiting to follow Christ, still waiting to make Him your King and your Lord, there's physical wrath that awaits you. But Jesus Christ, because He became fully man for every man and woman that trust Him, He feels, He takes the nail. He takes the pain. He takes our physical need, and he meets it. Hebrews two eighteen, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Yesterday, uh, Friday, um, I was I had a situation on my boat, sailboat, where there's a valve under the water line inside that I had to replace the valve. And in order to do that, I had to get the boat out of the water, hauled out of the water, and there's some expense in doing that, and kept out of the water long enough for me and my son Ben to get the old valve off and get the new valve on before they lowered us back into the water. And the guy said, you got two hours. I got boats lined up, you're tying up my equipment, I know you're paying for this, but no more than two hours going to go back down. Well, it's about 15 minutes left, and that valve is not budging. I mean, it is so corroded. It's not, and we have so broken on that thing now, that if I get lower back into the water, it's just going to be a boat with a hole in it. I stopped my son, and I said, I've been neglect. I've been neglect. I said, this has been much on my mind, and I've I've prayed that God would give me wisdom. But I haven't brought Jesus, physical Jesus, in on the scene. I haven't brought Him on sight. Bear with me. Let me pray. And I said, Lord, just like you, we pray for you to guide the hand of the surgeon when our loved ones go under the knife. We pray, Lord, that you will, you will uh, open a door where there's not a door. Lord, we pray for you to do physical things. I need you to physically... Physically, help me with this pipe wrench on this valve to get this thing off. Please, help me physically. The new valve's on. Did I suddenly get superhuman strength? Did the penetrating oil suddenly work? Or give glory and praise to God. Jesus, I cried out to when I had a physical need, answered. Because he's still a physical God. Maybe with you, you're facing scary, scary x-rays. We've got folks in this room that that face very scary, life-threatening health issues. A physical Jesus understands. He can identify. Cry out to Jesus for he loves to help us physically. Secondly. Jesus had a human mind, Isaiah 53, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, that, that, that word means labor. Man, I am, I am I'm feeling around the edges I'm trying of uh, this door. I'm trying to find the door handle to get out. I, man, I'm noodling, noodling, noodling. I'm trying to figure this thing out. That's an anguish of soul. That's an anguish of mind. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. That's a finite human mind that's being described there. He shall see light. He shall come to a point in that anguish of soul where he says, there it is. In other words, inductive reasoning at work here. And be satisfied. This is the conclusion. I can rest. This is the direction to go. Now, this is where some people start to get a little fuzzy and we start to put Jesus back up and keep him in the heavens alone. This is where some of us, we start to raise Jesus and say, well, Jesus doesn't, He can't help my thinking. He can't help me in the decisions that I need to make. He never struggled. He was God. He knew the hearts of men. He knew what everybody thought. No. He limited himself to a finite human mind in order to be able to completely face things in this life as any man or woman, human being, would face. Luke 2:52 And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. In other words, he learned the ABCs of the Hebrew alphabet. He learned the scriptures. I I mean, I struggle with scripture memory. It is such a valuable thing. God uses that. He will when you commit passages of scripture to memory, then God is able to use that in a wonderful way we get in certain situations and the Holy Spirit, because it's now put there in my heart, will call that to mind, And He will strengthen us. He will use His Word to strengthen us and heal us and make us whole. But Jesus Christ had to do Scripture memory. He didn't have all 66 books in the Bible. Of course, some of them weren't written at that point. But He didn't have the Torah. He didn't have the prophets. It It wasn't that at seven years old, he says, I know it already, but I just knew it innately. I am the Word of God. I'm, I'm the walking Word of God. I don't have to commit it to memory. I am it. Yes, he is. But no, as Philippians 2 says, he humbled himself as a man. He would have to do Scripture memory. He would learn from his father and his mother lessons. And he would build upon those lessons as he went. What are the implications? Gregory of Nascenia says, you can't leave out any of the human attributes. That which he has not assumed, he has not healed. That which he didn't take on humanly, he can't touch. That, that thing about me that makes me a man, if he doesn't take that, then there's a great divide. The hypostatic union is not complete. Jesus is fully human. He's more human than me and you. Jesus is completely human, but without sin, which means He's a whole man. We can't imagine what Adam and Eve prior to the fall were like physically, mentally, emotionally, but they were perfect. They were whole and they were complete. We as followers of Christ are becoming more and more Christ-like, more and more human as we're being restored. And how is that happening? A very human Christ is at work. He has a mouth that He speaks to the Father. He has feet that He stands up like for Stephen. He has a body that sits down in its rightful place of authority at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's interceding for us. My ongoing salvation, sanctification, becoming more like Christ, becoming more a whole man, is all a result of a human Jesus at the right hand of God working. If Jesus has a human mind, Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Let me me tell you what it looks like before my last point. Jesus Christ grew in faith. Now remember, he's Sinless. But Jesus Christ learned how to pray. Jesus Christ learned how to hear God speak in the scriptures. Jesus Christ learned the history of the working with God of man such that all 66 books testify that God has always been about the business of a rescue to restore us to himself and that with our bodies intact. So when I struggle with my prayers, when I struggle with hearing the voice of God, God, where are you in this? When I struggle with comprehension, God, this is too much. I can't understand how you can take affliction and suffering and you use that to my good. Jesus Christ can say, I'm familiar with that. Like a weightlifter who has more and more weight put on the bar, I grew in my faith, but never did I sin. I understand and I know exactly where your faith is and I can help you to grow and to be strong in that. You know, your faith came as a gift from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. If you struggle with belief and faith, cry out again to Jesus because He knows. He's got a human soul. He's got a human mind. He knows how to handle doubt. Because he struggled with mental anguish himself. But without sin. Lastly, Jesus had a human heart and that's emotions. Isaiah fifty three three, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we... Esteemed him not. Luke 22 verse 44 shows us Jesus going through this very thing. A great sorrowful heart in the garden just prior to being seized, falsely tried, nailed to a cross and buried for dead in a tomb. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat... What? Jesus sweats?! Ah! Jesus has B.O.? Jesus sweats. And in this occasion, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. He wanted human companionship. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be alone. So in the ache of the, my lonely heart, I can go and I say, Jesus, you know what it's like to be alone. Please help me. And with you who can sympathize with me, I'm not alone. You've been rejected, so was he. You've been despised, so was he. Your heart is full of sorrow and near unto breaking, so was his. Man, I'm glad I got that man on my side. I got a man now in my life, a man in my life. Yes, he is God, but don't keep him. See, when we keep him in the heavens, when we remove the physicality from him, we remove humanity from him. We're not doing him or ourself a favor. Because what happens then is I'm left to work it out alone, without a sympathetic body, human mind, emotion, somebody that's been there, and somebody that can carry me through. Evidence that he had emotion, John Calvin says, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. John Calvin wrote more on the Psalms and he says it's an anatomy of our soul. And if we read it with with Christ at his center, we understand it to be a very emotional book. Because Christ had emotion. Christ, the emotional evidence shows us that Christ marveled. He marveled at a centurion and his faith. Christ, as a man, could be taken by surprise. He's like, wow, that is, man, what faith you have. Was he pretending or did he really marvel? Don't buy into the heresy that he was pretending. He got angry. He got angry on a couple of occasions, not just clearing the temple. You can say it was righteous indignation, but it still was hot. Compassion. He looked out on the crowds and he had compassion. His heart broke. Sorrowful. Mention that. At the, the grave of Lazarus, he was grieving He was weeping. He knows, he's got to know that he's going to raise him from the dead. Why isn't he like, hey, quit the crying, quit the crying? No, his heart broke. I am so glad that that is in there. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. You know what that means? Do you know tears? He does too. He's not going to come and say, oh, quit being a baby. Dry it up. He's going to cry right with you. We do well, the families that, such as Kathleen, the Callahan's, and the grief that they're going through right now, and recently the the White family. We do well to reserve words and just say, I'm weeping with you. I'm weeping. Yeah, I know they're in heaven, but I'm weeping. I'm grieving. I'm grieving your loss right now. Jesus models that, but he really did weep. Cunning. You know, this is how he pays his taxes. He says, or they, they come to him and they try with trickery. They say, all right, the coin has Caesar on it. So you're going to handle a coin? You're going to say that he's God? And he says, no, you give to Caesar what's Caesar, and you give to God what's got cunning, sharp. I think Jesus would have been, I know he would have been, a lot of fun around the campfire. I, I'm serious. Just to shake you up a little bit. We're almost done here. Can you imagine, have you seen the the, the trick on YouTube or uh, video, Facebook, sometimes you see it, where somebody's taking a shower, like at a beach shower, and a, a buddy or somebody comes up, and they put shampoo on their hair, and they're like, oh, I still got soap. And they're like, oh, I've got to keep washing. They come up again, they keep squirting the soap on their head, the trick. Can you imagine Jesus at a campfire? Peter comes up, maybe he's Bragging again, loud Peter. He comes up, there's a rock right there, and Jesus, says, hey, have a seat. Sits down, oh, it's a hot rock that he pulled out of the fire. Wait a minute. No, there's nothing in the scripture that says that he did that. But that. My Jesus would do something like that. Not to hurt him, but to be, he was one of the guys, he was real. I don't want to spend eternity with just a divine Jesus. Is that heresy? No. Because there's not just a divine Jesus in eternity. What's the first thing you want to do with Jesus when you get to heaven? You say, well, the first thing we're going to do when we get to to heaven is we're going to get a white robe and we're going to be in a choir like Justin assembled and we're going to to worship. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know so much about the white robe and I don't know so much about being in a choir. I know we're going to worship. But there's going to be activity with a physical Jesus who has emotion, who understands our mind and our thinking, who can be with us throughout all eternity to enjoy the eternity, the physical space and places that he's built for us. So there's benefits. Because if Jesus has a human heart, We've got a great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness, and Hebrews four sixteen says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne, misspelling, of grace, that we may receive mercy, and find grace to help him in time of need." I. Uh, I want to encourage you. This morning, to recognize that because Jesus Christ has been physically in body, mind, and heart, where we have been, where we are, and where we are going, that He meets us not with judgment or condemnation, but with sympathy at the point of our weakness. And that smokes me out. I'm drawn to that Jesus. If you're struggling... To obey. If you're struggling. To follow Jesus. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to. Stop trying to be so much like. Jesus the divine. And start spending time. And being with Jesus. The human. Stop. Keeping him at a distance, at an arm's length. Stop thinking he can't understand because he's divine and he's clean and he's pure. Because the whole gospel story of the incarnation is that he left heaven to come to a very physical, dirty earth, to a very dirty heart, and he dwells there. And he is making it pure by both his divinity and his humanity. Emerson, this week, was playing with a nativity set that we let her play all around our house. I don't know how many we've got. Uh, We used to make it a family game to count the number of nativity sets. Um, And I know that it's approaching 35, 40 sets. And some we don't even unbox. We just don't have the space. But there's one uh, nativity set that we let Emerson play with. And so in making some arrangements for some get-togethers here at Christmas, um, I walked past her nativity set. And you know how you set up a nativity set, most people? So you, you, you got Mary, and then you got Joseph, and then in front of them you normally put baby Jesus. Is that right? Okay, and if you've got wise men and shepherds, you kind of put them around, distance, some animals on the side. But Jesus is, is right there in the front, and the people are behind him. So here's how Emerson sets up the nativity set. Jesus, he's in the back of the little stable, manger thing. And everybody is lined up straight in a row right across facing him, every one of them, so that you have Jesus and that right there, so that you've got the backs of all the people, and on the other side of them, they're all looking at Jesus. So instead of people surrounding him as if he's a glowing baby that is out of this world to worship, she says, he's a baby. And all these people are looking at him and saying, wow, he's a baby. He looks like every other baby. But this baby is from heaven, but he's one with us. And I thought, wow, out of the mouths of babes. Sometimes we set up that manger scene so much as if he is not really one completely with us. But he is. He got low. He got dirty. He became one of us. And He still is one of us. And therefore, He is worthy of our worship and our looking to Him in faith for life and continuing salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help me to understand that Jesus, Jesus is the object of my affection. And that it's not belittling. It's not insulting. It's actually complimentary to say you're fully man so that every man and woman can never say you don't understand you don't know what it's like i'm all alone because jesus you can say i have been there and i am still with you i understand i understand pain and troubled minds and troubled hearts lord thank you Thank you for this day that we can now come to this table and we can celebrate your flesh. That you actually had flesh that was broken in our place. You actually had blood that was shed in our place. And now peace with God is made now and forever as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.